Welcome to the holiday season. My name is Sam Clements, and this is your trip to the all-night garage on Christmas Eve to pick up a bottle of antifreeze and a variety of trivia for Nancy Myers' 2006 festive rom-com, The Holiday, the Christmas house-swap comedy starring Kate Winslet, Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, and Jack Black. The Holiday was described as a fizzy champagne cocktail that provides a pleasant buzz by the Philadelphia Inquirer, and as corny as it gets by the Daily Telegraph, which is good because I am looking for corny in my life. In episode four, we'll be looking at the locations used during the shoot. In particular, the area of Surrey, where Kate Winslet's character Iris owns an idyllic English countryside cottage that she swaps with Cameron Diaz's character Amanda for the Christmas break. A cottage so iconic that we made it our podcast artwork. Location is a huge part of the holiday, as the film is quite literally about our two main characters wanting a break from their lives, seeking a change of scene. Following a dramatic event in each of their personal lives, Iris and Amanda happen upon a house-swap website and agree to swap homes for the Christmas holidays. Iris travels to Los Angeles to vacation in Amanda's impressive mansion, and Amanda goes to Surrey to holiday in Iris's beautiful snow-covered cottage, just 40 minutes from exciting London. It was paramount that the filmmakers find the perfect location to shoot Iris's cottage. And over the course of this episode, we'll talk to the film's location manager, Benjamin Greenacre, my good friend Alex Hall, who actually lived in the English village of Shear when Nancy Myers and the crew rocked up to make the holiday. And I tracked down the person responsible for all of that on-screen snow. It goes without saying, but there will be spoilers for the holiday in this podcast. Please pause the show if you've not seen the movie before, Go and watch The Holiday, you will have a grand old time, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. One of the interesting things about The Holiday, especially for a British audience, is that a significant part of what was, at the time, the most expensive rom-com ever made was partly filmed on location in England, the setting for Iris's stunning home, Rose Hill Cottage. All of the interior scenes of the cottage were shot in Los Angeles, but the exterior was shot in Surrey. This location work for Amanda's storyline saw cast members Cameron Diaz, Jude Law, Kate Winslet, director Nancy Myers, and the whole production team descend onto the small village of Shear in Surrey for a month in the mid-noughties. In addition to the cottage exterior, the production shot on the streets of Shear and Godalming, along with various countryside pathways, inside the local pub, inside a gift shop, doubling in the film for a grocery store, and a cafe that didn't actually make the final cut of the film, but you can see it briefly in the trailer. There's a certain novelty in seeing Hollywood royalty like Cameron Diaz walking around a small English village, surrounded by fake snow. At the time, it made quite a stir on the local news. Now, Hollywood has come to Surrey. A new blockbuster with big names like Cameron Diaz, Jude Law and Reading's very own Kate Winslet are starring and filming is underway. The Hollywood Hills are traditionally the home of the movies, but at the moment, many of Tinseltown's biggest stars are roaming around the Surrey countryside. One of the reasons I became fascinated with The Holiday was that my friend Alex Hall actually lived in the Surrey village of Shear whilst Nancy Myers and the crew were in town shooting the film. Last Christmas, Alex took me on a tour of her old hometown. Maybe by start by saying where we are. So we are in, we're on the outskirts, well I guess the outskirts of Shear, because Shear is tiny. Um, and we're walking back into the village, the sort of central bit, which is in the film. Um, and we just sort of 
had a little recce to which, a bridge we think is in the film, which we will verify at a future date, um, which Cameron Diaz runs across. Um, I can never remember her character's surname. We can go and do um, what I call Kate Winslet's sad walk, which is uh, the bit in the film that is notable to me because my old house is in it, um, and which is obviously a very niche thing to like a film of four, but humour me, um, we've come all this way. Alex mentions that her mum got to watch Nancy Myers direct Kate Winslet. It's, I mean, it is just one thing that literally all she does is walk from the street all the way up past a house and then keeps going to her famously fake cottage. More on that later. Apparently she made Kate, and she made, you know, as she likes doing, it was a multiple take affair. She made Kate Winslet do it like 50 times. I think my mum watched... 20 of those takes before getting bored and going inside because he was like oh she's literally just making a walk what the f*** is this I thought we were going to be doing some filming um, with my mum there not understanding the nuances of Hollywood and its requirements on the actors but it was like a big it really took over and I think obviously a lot of stuff is filmed in sheer because um, as we were saying earlier like it is so beautiful the surrounding area and the, the sort of the centre of it is a very chocolate boxy, picture perfect English country village in adversity commas that you you sort of have a snapshot of it and you instantly have a sense of location and you know, style of life and it really suits the character of Iris, I think. Um, it feels like if it, yeah. uh, someone to draw an English village, yeah. this they would just need to just pick up a it's, picture of yeah. Sheer. It <laughs> is. The cottages here are, there, and they're all called like the old cottage, yes. Rumpkin Warehouse. <laughs> like, it's lovely rustic terms. Yeah, it's really old school. It's, it's achingly middle class in the best possible sense. And I say that as someone who grew up here. Uh, <laughs> it's a very cut to me, and I bleed hummus. Um, the and I think for Iris's character, you know, she works at the Telegraph. She's got a dog. Like, she's having a nice time, apart from bastard Rufus Sewell. If you, if you yeah. did work in London, as the character of Iris does at the Telegraph, would you oh, live in a village I... like this and do this commute? Is this commutable? It is commutable. I uh, used to do it when I did work experience. You can, if you have it, but you really do need a car, unless you're willing to walk to Gomshaw, Cashier, fun fact does not have its own station. Gomshall is the nearest station, but that is... I mean, there's a sort of... There's a train every second Tuesday type thing. It's not mm. a regular service. The nearest big station is Guildford, which is kind of a drivable. And I think a lot of people do drive. So, yeah, for... I think, yeah, they show that Iris does have a car. And then she does this. We're about to do the walk, guys. It's very exciting. Play the sad music that Hans Zimmer carefully <laughs> yeah, what composed. Did Hans do for this I can't get over that it's Hans Zimmer. It's so funny to me. Because, like, we were, you know, the, the, the holiday is, you know, on the surface, just a fun, light Christmas film. Mm. And then you've got someone like Hans Zimmer who did Gladiator <laughs> and all of these epic films. And, like, he's got such a, a history. Well, he did he the, um, up and he took and he gave up time to take doing the music for this incredibly seriously. So we're just walking past my old house, which is a, a, a cottage called Pantries. If anyone ever wants to do the site visit, um, and it looks—I mean, like let's be nosy—it looks empty. And I think 
That's the old... Oh, God, that's so weird. Um, like, there were two notable things that happened to my family during the filming period. One was they turned up asking for um, permission to basically put a Christmas tree in the window we've just walked past, which faces out onto the street. Like, full Christmas tree, all the bells and whistles, decorated with baubles and, like, it was going to be a feature of the film. And then when you actually get to the, the point in the film where Iris... The shot, I, we, this Iris is sad walk. And you, like, our house is in it for, like, I don't know, 10 seconds? Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And you never see... The tree was a complete farce in, that, in the way that, like, I think sometimes big Hollywood productions are and that there is this excessive attention to detail. But ultimately, when it comes to editing, the film's long enough as it is. We don't need extra shots of all the village. We still have the baubles to this day. There's at least one holiday bauble that still goes on our tree. So that's nice. Thanks, Nancy. Um, and the other thing that happened, which uh, always makes me laugh when I think about the actual exchange of dialogue that would have taken place, is they wanted us to move our cars. So when you see that shot, again, the main establishing shot of the square, there's no cars in it. Or there is maybe, like, one. But Nancy wanted all the cars gone. So they came and asked my dad to move our cars. And he refused, because my dad is... Um, a fun guy and ultimately is always like looking to minimize the amount of walking he has to do at any given point so he refused to do it and said you know not unless you pay me and then the next day this production assistant appeared with a water full of cash gave it to my dad dad duly moved the cars and i should add they were asking him to move the car to across the road in the pub car park <laughs> so it's absolutely like thanks dad um, none of us saw any of that cash, so, you know, I don't know what happened there. As someone who grew up in this village, yes. watching something like The Holiday and doing what we're doing now, trying to piece together geography, <laughs> is that is that quite a fun thing? Like, when you're watching the movie, does it really take you out of the narrative? It, it doesn't, it doesn't. I think um, I found it... I was just mostly thrilled to see somewhere I lived portrayed, as much as it was sort of partial... You know, when you grow up somewhere like Guildford, it is essentially, or like near Guildford, Guildford's a very boring clone town. So it doesn't get mentioned that often in media or culture because we're so near London that London kind of absorbs all of the energy that you don't, you never feel that there's anything notable about where you grow up. So when it was, when you started to see somewhere like Shear being used in these films and on TV, as much as it's tedious because it does bring like a tourist trade with it Mm. of people taking weird photos of your house all the time or turning up to do podcasts years later um you do like it was exciting i think it did take me out of it but i also still love the film for what it is and um have watched it endlessly um because it's because it is a very well-made entertaining film ultimately but with the added bonus of you know we don't live there anymore um, and, you know, it's a very nostalgic time for me, I guess. So um, it's quite cool that it's immortalised on celluloid by one of the greatest living directors, guys. Um, it's also, yeah, I mean, yeah. the fact that you were living in the house at While the time they, they were it, filming. Yeah. Although, yeah, I remember, like, when I was at uni, because it, they filmed it in April slash May, I think, and I was doing exams, so I was obviously very dedicated to my course, so I did not immediately come back. And all my friends were like, go home! Why aren't you there? Jude Lord's in your village! Um, and I just didn't, and I will regret that for the rest of my days. Um, but also, I came back briefly in the summer, so I actually saw 
I saw the fake cottage in situ and I saw some of the fake snow. And it's just a bit, it's just very surreal, you know. Well, like where we're standing, yeah. we can see some major bits of the holiday. So there's your old house, which yeah. had a Christmas tree in. Obviously there's a the, big cameo. the space where your dad's car was not because <laughs> Nancy bribed him to move it. We should point out that the holiday season legal team have advised us to say that Nancy Myers didn't personally bribe anyone. An anecdote which I don't know, I think it's partially true, but it might have been like exacerbated over time about my mum leaning on the tree so we can see the big, big ass tree, which is look, currently looking very beautiful and autumnal. Watching them filming, like, I think an exterior shot of the pub and she um, sort of out loud said to herself, like, such a bloody farce, isn't it? It's a big, or something along those lines. And then Jude Law, within earshot, went, I know. Um, and uh, so she was like, oh, God. And then she ran away because she doesn't know how to talk. She can st- she'll stare at celebrities all the live long day, but will not talk to them um, because that would shatter the illusion. But why sheer? How did Nancy Myers and Cameron Diaz end up in this small Surrey village? I got in touch with Benjamin Greenacre, the film's UK location manager, who now works as a line producer, to ask him about what he remembers from the shoot. Was it always going to be sheer, or were there other villages in contention, do you remember? So many villages! (laughs) So many villages! So, the scouting process was very long and slightly torturous. So, I was scouting around London, I was scouting in the southwest, down in Cornwall and Devon, in Kent, in the Midlands, in Wales, in scouts in Scotland, in East Anglia. I mean, we scouted the whole country. And the first recce that Nancy came on, the director came on, she flew in and the day before she flew in and I had hotels penciled across the country and all these different scouts ready to show us around. And, And the designer had narrowed it down but we'd narrowed it down to you know a couple of weeks of scouting around five or six different areas of the country and nancy had done her back in and said that she didn't want to be more than an hour's drive from london which kind of meant the previous three months of work four months of work was for nothing um so we cancelled that and we went we only went to about three villages in the end it's interesting working with people not from the from England. So we all have a very clear idea of what a perfect English village looks like. Mm. I mean, all our ideas are different from everybody else's, but in essence, we know what an English village looks like. We're dealing with Americans from LA, whose frame of reference is LA, which is not a pretty city. The newness of America lends itself to a an issue understanding what we think of as the perfect picturesque English village. And also lends itself to an issue with, with our senses of our sense of what is picturesque and what isn't. So America and Americans like new. They like clean. So we in our sensibilities think worn in looks okay. Yep. Especially in the countryside, especially with wealthy in the countryside. Worn in is 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 absolutely how it should be. And they really struggled with the idea of me, me presenting cottages and going, this one, and they go, it looks a bit battered or it looks a bit scruffy. It doesn't look like where Cameron Diaz would, would want to stay. And you go, well, but it's beautiful. It's it's set in this slightly woolly, wild landscape and it's uh, not so much what we're thinking of. So we looked a lot for the right village uh, and... And we looked a lot for the right village in the context of how the cottage sit with it, because 
it had this very very stern rule or guideline that turned out to be a rule um, about where the cottage should be in relationship to the village. So the idea was is that the cottage was going to be close enough to the village that you could walk to it, but far enough away that the walk would be quite a long walk, but not so far away that the cottage felt isolated and creepy and a bit scary. Now, close enough to the village that you can see it, in essence, you either need to look up to the village or or down on the village, and down on the village is probably easier. Far enough away that there's a walk, well, that became quickly that we just have to fake that because we had no idea what that meant. <laughs> but not so isolated that it's not so far away that it's not creepy. What that meant, I had no idea. <laughs> and we looked at lots of cottages and lots of villages and we were looking at Shear and we, there was two or three cottages that we considered to be the house, um, a couple at the far end, the farmhouse that we were looking at, but nobody bought that because you couldn't really connect it to the village. And we were walking around looking for shots of the village. And I, I don't know whose idea it was. I will maintain it was mine, but I suspect that John Hutman will maintain that it was his. And I'm not entirely sure that Nancy wouldn't suggest that it was hers. Um, <laughs> and we just said, well, if this is the perfect spot for the view of the village, why don't we just build the cottage here? Because we have looked and looked and looked for the perfect cottage in the perfect spot. And the perfect cottage is easier to build than the perfect spot. Mm. You know, if you find the perfect spot, let's use it. Because then you have your relationship between the two and it's easier to build a building than build a setting in the end i actually don't know that you really noticed the relationship between the cottage and the village i only know from going there how close it was to the village i don't think they ever ended up using that beat or that sense of it so it's one of the interesting things is things that seem terribly important Mm. in prep when you're scouting for things by the time you actually shoot it have become less important. And when you get to the edit, maybe not important at all. Was it kind of a eureka moment when it was just suggested, you know, whoever suggested it, but let's just build the cottage here? It's hard because it it, it should have been more of a eureka moment, but there's also a sense as a location manager, you have a sense of fail because my job was to find the perfect cottage to go with the perfect village. And I got 50% right. I got the perfect village, but the perfect cottage had eluded me. But there's a certain point where you just go, you know what, I could look forever and it probably doesn't exist. And that's part of location scouting. And that's one of the hard things to communicate to designers and then directors is there's always a sense that if you keep looking, you'll find it. And it, in this case, it was, it was slightly more obvious. When I was a location manager, I liked finding locations and filming on location. I am coming around to the idea that building things is not always a fail mm-hmm. um, because... Building things gives you options on how you shoot stuff. And that cottage, to shoot in a real cottage, especially an American crew with American sense of scale and sensibility, would have hated it. They would have absolutely found it almost impossible. They would have had the most miserable, well, probably three weeks turning into five weeks, um, (laughs) filming it because they would have been falling over each other. They would have been cursing the low ceilings. They would have not being able to get half the shots they did. And and I think that they were better off with that solution. It allows, I guess, also for, I guess, Nancy's vision and, and John Hutman's vision of the cottage just to, they can create what they have in their 
in their heads yes. when they're when you're doing that because it is a picture perfect cottage but it sort of works for the film because it is this heightened hollywood ideal um so i i don't know it's kind of a nice sort of part of it i guess it worked well for them and it, it they could have a, a, a you know fairly symmetrical cottage you know it wasn't going to be a wonky cottage because mm. wonky doesn't fit with american sensibilities or u.s sensibilities wonky means that somebody needs to get in there and sort it out to make yeah. it straight <laughs> um and it didn't have a weird extension on the side and it didn't have a couple of farm buildings in the background it it had everything they wanted and no more and no less and they have never, never done a build like it because actually i think we shot did we shoot? Do we shoot in March? I think. Yeah, we shot in March, and they built that cottage in November, December. I think we thought we were going to be filming in February, but they built it well in advance so the garden could bed in, mm. so that when we came to actually shoot, it didn't. There was no chance it was going to look like a we've just built this cottage. You know, we had building it churned up the ground and made a mess of things. So, so we needed everything to bed down, calm down. Um, was a very long uh, job for two security guards who basically had to be there day and night for, God, was it three or four months, just making sure that nothing happened to it over Christmas. Well, they were there on Christmas Day on that on a, on a Christmas movie. <laughs> we had security there on Christmas Day, making sure sitting in a, in a pretend cottage, making sure nothing happened to it. I seem to remember we had to get permission to cut down a branch. Partly because we were worried it was overhanging mm. and therefore maybe a strong wind was going to cause problem. Also, I think because there was a sense that perhaps the tree looked too spooky. I always have concerns about interfering with the permanent state of things just to make a movie. But we were lucky because it turned out the branch was dangerous and was dying and was already in need of being lopped off. And it just meant that we did it and paid for it instead of somebody else having to do it at a later date and paying for it. So, you did a good um, service. We did a good <laughs> service, exactly. Leaving the location either the same or better than when we arrived. When I was in Shear with Alex, I insisted that we make her pilgrimage to the field that once contained Rose Hill Cottage. It looked beautiful. Like, I saw it. It was very real. It was a surreal sort of thing because... Because as you can see, it is just this big field where some sheep now live. But like, they put down a path, they did landscaping. They really threw some money at manufacturing a fake cottage. Coming here is, there's no harm in it because it's a beautiful view. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, I guess one of the destinations for tourists who want to come and see, you know, the, the place where the holiday was filmed is to come and see Iris's beautiful cottage, which is sadly guys a, a real fallacy because <laughs> it's it's not there anymore i mean if you do come to Shear and you mm. see the wonderful town and it is so close to the town but it, it, it's just a field on a hill it's you can hill. you can as you walk across it's the exact shot of where the cottage is with the tree in the background yeah but uh yeah it's just like the level of uh production that's gone into this to manufacture this cottage i think uh, yeah it's very emblematic symbolic if you will of what of how Nancy made this film, in that she threw a lot of money and artifice at it. <laughs> and uh, it's the sort of slightly bonkers. She really went, she's very extra, I guess, to use a modern, uh, <laughs> his modern parlance. Uh, she didn't, she absolutely did not need to build a cottage or like um, do a, any number of the things she did, but that's very much her style is like going that extra mile and use it and going and really into the detail. And like, it was a cool thing to have. 
but it just baffled a lot of people, I think, and still does. Like, why did she do this? When will we ever know? Why, well, Nancy? Just why from my, my very brief time walking around the town, yeah. a lot of the cottages are near other cottages, and I think the one thing that we haven't seen is a cottage on its own yeah, in this part true. of the world. I'm sure there are nearby, but it's actually just they wanted somewhere nearby that was this isolated cottage to show Iris is alone yes, that's um, very and true. doesn't have like a, a neighbor or anyone who can look in on her and and then I can I mean it still feels like quite an extravagant solution to that problem rather than <laughs> yeah, finding it, I love but it maybe production it's more convenient to build it yes and also in terms of just endless shoots you're disrupting the minimum you're only disrupting the farmer whose field you're in mm. if if at all um if you had shot it in the village it wouldn't have felt quite so dramatic, I think, or as cinematic, I suppose. Because um, the way that... I mean, it looks beautiful in the film. But it can be truly it's sort of art-directed then, rather than having to dress an existing cottage. It could be, yes. you know, what is scribbled on the back of a napkin, maybe, and realised in this beautiful way. What really strikes yeah. me is how unceremoniously <laughs> the the location of Rose Hill Cottage has been treated. There is nothing here. Oh, is it not called Ivy Cottage? No, it's called know. Rose Hill oh, Cottage. Hell. Sorry, Rose everyone. Hill. Um, I know nothing. Uh, Iris's Rose Hill Cottage. Ah, yes. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's a trash can. <laughs> there's, a, there's an upturned trash can. There's a black wheelie bin. There's a broken fence. There's the lid there's of the like trash can. There's like a patch of earth that looks like a bonfire has recently happened there. There's no life at all. No, there's uh, some nearby. sheep, as discussed. And I, just, I think there's like, you can't hear any traffic or anything. It's, it's a very, it's very beautiful it's, part of the world. Beautiful. It's very peaceful. I just feel like they should erect a plaque or a statue of Nancy Myers <laughs> in this <laughs> A spot. colossus of Nancy Myers. Because I think, I think it's, uh, I mean, I don't know what sort of trade the farm does here, but it's desolate right now. Um, maybe actually just, you know, turn this into a tourist site. Well, and, they did uh, have a poster. They had a poster. <laughs> they had some kind of sign on this gate that we're standing at, but mm. it's not there anymore. Maybe someone nicked it. I think it needs to be something Maybe more Nancy permanent. came and nicked it. She's like, no. I just think a bronze life-size, maybe twice as life-size. I don't know. Maybe let's make it big. Small. Make it big. But yeah, just like a bronze statue of Nancy, maybe like with the monitor and the headphones that she would have when she's directing on location. Yep. So, you know, really capture that, that mood. Always with the headphones. Yeah. Or Always the other thing is just actually recreate the cottage and rent it out on Airbnb. You could do the holiday. You could make an absolute fortune, I think. What's quite nice is we've done the walk that Nancy, that Cameron, that Kate would have done up to the location yeah. of Rose Hill Cottage. We have, and, yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a hugely pleasant walk. It sort of brings... It is quite uh, muddy. They've gone up in my estimations, yeah. <laughs> having to walk down this awful uh, muddy path uh, to get to work every day. Yeah, it was... At least it's nearby. At least it's not too far to walk. That's the funny thing about it. Like, it's, it is so adjacent to the village... And it's yeah. a really, it's a beautiful spot. I'm, I'm sure there are other fields shortlisted. Of, uh, I think this is everything. Possibly. Beauty, convenience, and the farmer was probably up for them building the ridiculous cottage on this house. I wonder how much money he got paid. That's what I want to know, is how much secret money exchanged hands. Because much like my father getting a wadge of cash to move some cars, I want to know what the contingency of the budget was for keeping the locals sweet. Yeah, the greasing uh, the wheels budget. <laughs> That's why it was the most expensive rom-com ever made, because of pissy locals. There's a making-of documentary on the Holiday DVD, and the crew briefly mentioned a location work in the UK. Here's Director of Photography, Dean Cundy. England's one of my favourite parts of the world, so it was a lot of fun to go there and to to try to capture it in a way that appeals in the story. Of course, they are, they are running. Uh, we went to Shear because it was a village that looks sort of quintessentially English. But we built 
the, the little cottage that is Kate Winslet's character's house so that it was the most interesting environment. And Ben makes a brief appearance discussing how the crew made the cottage that we see in the film. But the cottage uh, was quite amazing to watch being built. It started off as, uh, as a field and uh, four wooden pegs and uh, a crossbar held up by two tall men. Within four days, you could actually see the cottage. And then four weeks spent landscape gardening the outside and making it look like the garden had been there for, you know, 200 years as long as the cottage had been there. So uh, the, the house itself just appeared in a week. Whilst Rose Hill Cottage is the result of some movie magic, the town of Shear is very much a reality, and I had a fab time walking around with Alex. Earlier, Ben mentioned that Shear was chosen because it felt like a perfect English village, but I wanted to know more about what goes into shooting a movie in a real-life town full of residents who just want to go about their day-to-day lives. It's the, it is the, the burden and the joy of location managing is that you are the only member of the team in a, of the whole crew who in effect, in effect deals with people outside the industry. Mm. So as uh, a cameraman, you deal with your, your camera team, you deal with the lighting team, you deal with the art department. All those people have the same goals, have the same ambitions, have the same understanding of what the project is. As a location manager, you're dealing with all those people. You're also dealing with people who have to get up in the morning and go to work, who have small babies in the house, who are getting on in years and don't want to have their car parked 10 miles down the road because you want a clean shot for your 1960s drama that you're shooting. They are the real people. And as a location manager, you are on the front end, you're on the sharp end of that interface between this weird world of TV and film production and the reality of people's everyday lives. We went into Shear. We were there for theoretically, I think, three days. Um, or four days, I think. Uh, and we wanted to cover the place in snow and we wanted to clear all the cars. And the designer came to me when we found the place and said, this is perfect. And it was, I think, only the second film I'd done with an American production company. And mm-hmm. in the UK, when someone says this is perfect, that means it's perfect. When a American uh, designer says it's perfect it means it's the perfect blank canvas on which i can change absolutely everything and so my idea of perfect i was like okay that's fantastic and then the list of what we needed to do came through and it was basically change every single shop for something else mm. hanging shop signs changing shop frontages changing the windows inside shops changing everything and that same thing happened in Goldenwing too where we mm. we found the perfect street and then changed a butcher's into a tile shop and the tile shop into a butcher shop I don't know it was <laughs> it was relentless so perfect means something else the more money there is in the budget you have to get all those people on board every single one because if one person says I'm not moving my car you might as well not move any of the cars to a certain extent um so you just have to talk to people and they'd had filming in Shear before mm. So they knew a little bit about what was coming. I can't remember what the production was before us, but they'd had something fairly big. Bridget Jones's Bridget Jones Two, Bridget Jones Two, yes, had been there about three or four years before. So they knew what was on the cards, and partly that made it easier. Partly because they knew what was coming, Mm. Um, it made them slightly more um, expectant of remuneration. (laughs) There was one gentleman who was expecting an awful lot to move his car. And my feeling was if we paid him an awful lot to move his car, then we needed to pay everybody 
in the village an awful lot to move the car, at which point the total cost for moving the cars would have been really an insane amount of money. Mm. So we had to find a way of compromising on that that meant that I wasn't paying one person more than anybody else because I've, I've struggled with that on a sort of moral level, I guess. Eventually negotiated change in the shot slide so he didn't need to move his car. Oh, wow. Which meant that he did get much less money. We did. I think we needed to move it one day rather than five days or something. And he ended up slightly losing out from his initial request for the extra. Um, and we got what we want. We were able to pay all the people accordingly, which is much fairer to people. You you do want to feel that you are not taking advantage and that you're working with people. There's always a sense when people see, you know, crews of two hundred and. 30 trucks and all that sort of stuff that they're sitting there going, why am I getting a fiver yeah. <laughs> for all this trouble that I'm going to, for parking my car in a field outside the village and then being minibussed in or brought in by cars to my own house. You have to bring people with you so that they feel that they are being treated fairly because what happened on the holiday, for example, is we had done that. We kept everybody on board. Everybody was involved. We'd given people little parts as extras if they wanted it. I had a really great crew. I mean, I had a big locations crew who made friends with all the um, villagers to the extent where one of them knitted a scarf for my unit manager because it was her birthday. And she oh, that's was, incredible. There was a, she turned up and said, I've been knitted a scarf and a hat. <laughs> well, that's because you're doing your job properly. You've made friends with everybody. We weren't a very fast production. After day one of 17, I think it was 17, the first AD said one down, 17 to go. After day two, the first AD said, two down, 17 to go. After day three, the first assistant director said, three down, 17 to go. <laughs> so we hadn't really completed what we felt was a full day's full day of the schedule after three days is my memory of it. And what happened eventually is I think we ended up shooting 27 days instead of 17 or 19. Mm. And they still took the entire restaurant interior back to... Um, LA and shot that there so we didn't even complete for all sorts of reasons um, but what was great was that we had such a good relationship with both Shear and then also Godalming that as the schedule shifted and as the schedule changed the people there trusted that trusted us as a department and trusted the production I, th I think we was doubled at least the amount of days we shot in Shear if not more than that and they were fine Wow, it's a very it was, supportive community around you. They were they were really great, and they were very patient with us, and we we paid them a lot of attention, and we looked after them. I hope they felt we looked after them well, and we kept them informed, and we would knock on their doors and tell them what was going on and keep them, and we made sure that they could come and watch the filming. I think that's very important is production get terribly precious and secretive and... I think it feeds egos to think that what they're doing is... What one's doing is so important and so secret bringing people along to stand and watch the monitors. I used to set, sometimes I'd set a monitor up for the public to oh, watch wow. what was happening so they could see what the camera was seeing. Mm. Um, and they'd come and they'd watch and then quite rapidly they'd get quite bored and they'd go <laughs> away again. But they would they would have felt that we were at least doing them the service of, of keeping them involved. But people were very interested. And like I say, we had them, I think we had people as extras. We tried to involve people as much as possible. If it was just coming to watch, finding them somewhere watching, or if it was coming to, to, to you know to, to act in it or to use their houses for things 
people were people were engaged and they saw Jude a lot um, and they saw Cameron a lot. I and mean, there weren't tons of scenes where they were up and down the streets there. And mm. in Godalming, it was slightly less so because it's a shopping street rather mm. than a residential street. I and mean, there were a few people at the far end residence there. Um, and we got crowds of people at the top end of that street in, in Godalming and off the side streets trying to catch a glimpse around the side <laughs> of the fencing and trying to peer over this, that and the other. And, and they had Cameron Diaz bombing down the street in a mini yeah. um, in their town. And she's a big Hollywood superstar. Why would you not want to go and, and engage with that and get a bit excited about that? I'm very happy with people and I'm very understanding of people being excited and wanting to sort of crane the necks around. I loved how pragmatic Ben was. He went on to say that he worked on the Spice Girls movie, Spice World, and told me that he learned a lot from that experience. Like, if there are crowds of fans wanting to see the stars at a location, it's easier to give the fans what they want, so they leave and the filmmakers can carry on making the film. Ben convinced the Spice Girls and their management that spending 20 minutes at the start of the day creating fans would allow for a much smoother shoot, with much smaller crowds for the security team to control. We had nice days um, up at the cottage in the field in front of the cottage. We had a really great security guard called Jerry Judge, who was looking after the actor's security. He he was somebody I'd worked with on Spice Girls, actually. I brought him in mm. because he knew Cameron and he knew Jude, I think he knew Jude. But I remember standing in this field and just shouting out names and going, Tony, I can see you. <laughs> Tony, I know you're in the hedge. And this very shame-faced paparazzi would stand up and go, all right, hi, Jerry. He'd say, Tony, off you go. And Tony would turn around and walk away. And he'd stand and stare and go, yes, Terry, I can see you. Get out of that tree. And it was just, he, he knew them all and they all knew him. And there was a sort of relationship there. And he could control that, and it helped control the news cycle and the publicity for the for the production mm. as well. And there was there were issues, and you know we were filming in a public place. We were filming in, and you can't stop people taking photographs. We were filming in a field that had a footpath next to it. Mm. You can't stop anybody on a footpath. Although interestingly, after some research, we found we can stop people from I can't remember what the legal term, but basically, if something like dawdling, uh-huh. you're not allowed to linger or dawdle or some other. Um, legal word on a public footpath and as soon as the paparazzi was stopping to take the photograph we had a very nice um, police officer who was deeming that to be dawdling and would move them on oh wow you're finding out all of the countryside bylaws yes <laughs> it was <laughs> i know more about that than ever i, I wanted to but um, um but it was all very good natured and the 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 press were were fine about it and it was much nicer and friendlier than actually than it was on the spice girls as well as being a memorable shoot for Ben, it sounds like the production is a positive memory for the people of Shear. It's nice to know that you've become slightly part of the of the psyche in a way, and it's it's quite a uh, quite a responsibility, but it's quite a, an accolade too to the production and the scale and size of what was going on there. That, that and it did. We we took over that that village, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels for, <laughs> for for a couple of weeks. You know, the snow was everywhere, which was became a problem after a while. Well, I'm sure Darcy will talk about that. Or if he remembers the, the downsides of that, he'll only talk about the good stuff. In Surrey, we have a beautiful village inhabited by generous residents and a newly constructed cottage prop, which is essential to the story. But this is a Hollywood Christmas movie and it needs to look like a winter wonderland. 
the production shot in the UK in April, and the snow would need to be ordered in. But who do you go to for fake snow? My name is Darcy Crownshaw, and uh, my job on holiday was as snow supervisor, snow special effects supervisor. Although I prefer to be known as the snowman, or rather head snowman. Darcy is the founder of Snow Business, the world leader in snow and winter effects for film and TV. I gave Darcy a call to talk about the holiday and find out more about what goes into making fake snow for movies. It depends what sort of snow you want. We've got over 200 types. We like to say we've got more types of snow than the Inuit nation has words for. We've got dry snow, wet snow. We've got warm snow, cold snow. We've got snow that will last 25 years. We've got snow that will only last three minutes. And so it's made of all sorts. We try to use uh, the main products we use are probably cellulose, which is wood pulp. 90% of what we use is recycled or low-embodied energy. But there are some tricks that you can't do with those. And so we still do have some plastics, although we're replacing those with PLAs, polylactic acid, which is plant-based plastics, as it were. But we also make real snow using liquid nitrogen and compressed down water. And of course, if we're filming somewhere like Iceland and it's cold enough, we can make snow the way we do our ski slopes, uh, just using the ambient cold air and compressed down water. What I will say is real snow is really miserable. So if you're looking at a couple of actors who are stuck in a foxhole for three minutes of a film, they've probably been in that foxhole for about three or four days in reality. And you imagine being in a foxhole that's full of snow, real snow, cold, wet, melting, freezing, for three or four days, you catch pneumonia. Um, so when we go to places like Norway, for example, and they film you on real snow and real mountains, we'll put a layer of insulating snow on top so the actors can lie down without costumes getting wet and without the actors dying of hypothermia. I asked Darcy about when Snow Business might usually be contacted to work on a movie. Sometimes we'll get a script and we'll do a quote on that script and then a year later um, we'll get the money together and we'll have been part of it right from the start. Other times you can get a call on a Friday night saying we need Snow in Iceland on Sunday, can you get there? We like the slow way better. We like the script. We like having the dialogue. We like discussing what their budget is, what the best effects we can provide within that budget. For example, if the script is really establishing winter rather than deep snow, you can establish winter in a much more cost-effective way than putting a foot depth of snow everywhere. Who do you tend to work with from the production? Again, it depends. Um, on films like Day After Tomorrow, we were working for the special effects supervisor, who was Neil Corbold. Most big films if snow is a part of quite a few different effects, will employ a special effects supervisor, and that special effects supervisor will then employ a snow supervisor. But on films like Holiday, where they were coming over to Britain to do uh, a month of filming and they needed snow, they came to Snow Business Direct, and we dealt direct with production and directly with, with Nancy herself. She knew exactly what she wanted. But the wonderful thing was that once she understands that you speak her language, but when she says, oh, I need X and Y, and you understand what she means by X and Y, then she trusts you completely and brings out the best in you, which is, is really nice. It's, again, it allows you to be creative. You feel, you feel appreciated, and therefore you actually 
deliver that extra 10%. She's a brilliant director to work with, absolutely brilliant director. The holiday shot in Sheer and the neighbouring town of Godalming for a month. Both are real-life towns with a real-life population. I was keen to know how the residents react to a sudden snowfall in April. It's hilarious. I mean, snow makes people smile. It doesn't take them more than kind of two and a half seconds to find that the fake snow also makes into snowballs like real snow. So if you're not careful, if the kids come in and run amok, all the snow that you put on the street is suddenly everywhere but on the street because they've thrown snowballs everywhere. But people do smile. And, you know, if you're out in the middle of the countryside, you've kind of done a whole valley and people drive around a corner and just see a valley covered in snow, that really does blow their mind. If you go to a village that's never had a film, they absolutely love it. I've been around films since 1983. And it never wears off, you know. When you see these things happening, it's absolutely magical and wonderful. I wanted to know if Darcy had a favourite memory of working on the holiday. Yeah, dropping snow on Cameron's head. She walks along with her bag, dragging a bag through the snow. And then she stops and looks up. And at that moment, snow drops out of the tree onto her head. And um, my comedic timing is absolutely useless. And I was stood there with a long pole with a piece of wood on the end, dropping snow onto Cameron. And every time Nancy would go, no, 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 I want it a second, a second earlier, a second earlier. And I, we must have done 20 takes. And the looks I was getting from Cameron after take, take 12 was hilarious. It was really great. It was, um, it was, a, it was something I'll never forget. Uh, and it was done with good humour all round. And I felt like a right, complete moron. Not, just not, been able to time it right because even if I tilted the wood at the right time the snow seemed to fall at different speeds so my hat's off to these people with great comedic timing because it's a lot harder than it looks to be directed by Nancy as well what a joy yeah and I made the detection a slight tone in the voice towards the end as well which I tell you is, is terrifying you do not cross Nancy she's great absolutely great and you do know that the cottage in uh, Marlene is completely fake it was, it was hilarious when members of the public would stroll past and they'd go, that's strange, I don't remember this costume at all. I've never seen it before. And we'd go, oh, yeah, it's been here hundreds of years. And they walked on making it add. But it was a brand new prop that had been built. But it looked so real. It was a beautiful thing. They put two-by-one timbers into the frame of the cottage so Nancy could see the size. And Nancy was debating that it was too big to be a cottage. And they were measuring and discussing the size. And she got the team in LA to measure how high her house was as a comparison, because it had to be smaller than her house. And she was absolutely right. The original framework was too big, too high, and it was reduced. And the final result was perfect. I wanted to spend some time thinking about the locations because the aesthetics of a Nancy Myers film are a massive part of the charm. Myers works on a scale like no other in the romantic comedy genre. Think about it. Each of her films are brought to life by an A-list cast, a top-tier production team, incredible set design, and everything else that comes with making a blockbuster movie. There's a classical Hollywood charm to Nancy Myers' work, and the scale is certainly part of that. Rachel Handler at Vulture recently published a whole bunch of great articles for a celebration called Nancy Myers Week on the website. 
One of those pieces was a brand new interview with Myers, and the topic of scale came up. Handler mentions that whilst talking to the cast members from Myers' films, the big budget aspect of her films came up a lot. Myers responded with, We had big budgets, yeah. For the most part, they, Myers' films, did very well for the studio. So some people, like Kate Winslet in The Holiday, were completely not used to the schedule and how we build things. And we built both of those homes. That was the best time. The whole of the What Women Want office was built, the Something's Gotta Give house was built, we were living on sound stages. It was fabulous. For the same series of interviews on Vulture, the Holiday star Cameron Diaz said, Oftentimes when you walk onto the set, you're like, I'm on a set, I'm making a movie, but going onto the sets for the holiday just felt like you were in those characters' homes. You forgot that you were on a soundstage, and there was lighting above you and cameras around you. Myers and Diaz are referring to the interiors on the holiday, but from talking to Alex, Ben and Darcy, we now know that she also brought the same aspirational design eye to the village of Sheer, which is an already delightful place, but Myers gave it a very festive once-over with her team to achieve the winter wonderland that now lives forever within the holiday. Whilst I haven't had the honour of visiting a real-life Nancy Myers set, visiting Sheer felt like stepping into the film. It's not like Nancy Myers totally remodelled a town, it was more a case of exaggerating its already fine points for what the film needed. It felt like stepping into the theme park version of the holiday, and the town has embraced it in a very rural village kind of way. There's an exhibit at the volunteer-run Sheer Museum, there's original sketches of Rose Hill Cottage on sale in the village gift shop, and as mentioned with Alex, there's a fantastic sign-up in the White Horse, the local pub that Nancy Myers actually shot inside. The sign reads, The White Horse is a former 15th century farmhouse and grade 2 listed building. One of Hollywood's most romantic films, The Holiday, starring Jude Law and Cameron Diaz, was shot here. And above the seat that Jude Law filmed in, there is a framed picture of his character, Graham. Seeing that sign felt like meeting the stars themselves. I took pictures, posed for a selfie, and waited to make sure I could sit and have a drink at Graham's table. So cheers to Nancy Myers and the good people of Sheer. Thank you for coming on location with me today. In the next episode, I meet two of the cast members from the film. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. And please tell your friends. Word of mouth is such a great way to spread the holiday love. The Holiday Season is written and produced by me, Sam Clements, and edited and produced by Louise Owen. The sound mix is by Ben Williams at Rockwood Audio. You heard contributions from former Shear resident Alex Hall, UK location manager on the holiday, Benjamin Greenacre, and snow supervisor on the holiday, Darcy Crownshaw. If you ever need snow for your film or TV show, give Snow Business a call. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Ollie Gibbs. You can find us online at 90minfilmfest.com slash season. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Clements. The Holiday is on Netflix and many other streaming services. Thank you for listening, and see you next time. <laughs>